passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Welcome back, everybody, to Post Wrestling. It's John Pollock with you. The people have spoken. They wanted more MMA content, and it became my job to bring the very best in the business to you, and that is why we are joined by MMA Junkies own, USA Today's own, basketball reporter, MMA reporter, Rolling Stone contributor, my pal Mike Bond joining us now from Delaware, just a stone's throw from Philadelphia where Saturday's fight night card goes down. Mr. Bond, welcome to Post Wrestling. Hey, John. Thanks for having me back. Always good to be here. You have been the road warrior of late. You were uh, on the road this past weekend uh, for... A big card. Then you're off to Florida. Then you are covering this Philadelphia show. Uh, this has been uh, quite the the road trip for you. Yeah, definitely a long stretch. Uh, I can't even keep count of how many interviews have been done over the past week or so. It's actually crazy. I saw the other day you said you had pumped out, what, 25 interviews at American Top Team? Yeah, I think that's what it came to, either 25 or 26. I can't keep exact track. But yeah, it just... That that trip was crazy. You go into the gym and just the talent that you see down there is just absolutely unreal. It was my first time down there. What a beautiful gym. Uh, just high-level fighters everywhere. It was a real treat to be in there and see all that in person. Uh, just rewinding, when it comes to uh, cities that you have been able to stay in for a couple of days for a fight night card, how, how well does Nashville stack up in terms of its reputation? Uh, did Nashville deliver? Yeah, definitely. It was pretty cool. Uh, the host hotel we were staying at was a little bit outside the city, but we still managed to get down there, obviously, for like the event and then some open workout stuff, which they actually did at the uh, Country Music Hall of Fame, which was pretty cool. And then got to go out to the famous Broadway Street where it's just like loaded with bars. Uh, you walk into every bar and there's like three, four bachelorette parties hanging around there. It's just it's a crazy scene down there. So one of the byproducts of this ESPN deal has been we've seen much earlier start times and encumbered in all of that has been a way faster paced delivery of these cards. And we may have had eight decisions on Saturday night, but I still felt this was a card that moved throughout the night. And still, we had a main card at eight 
And I want to say by 11, we were pretty much out, like, for a six-fight main card. Uh, what was it like covering this live? And did you notice um, a discernible change in pace? Because you have covered a lot of these events live. And in the heyday of some of these FS1 cards that weren't starting till 10 p.m. at night, uh, what was the difference like just from a live perspective covering this uh, with this faster pace that we're seeming to see as a new pattern? Yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. I'll take this all day. Um, I mean, backstage and stuff, it doesn't take, like feel horribly different because at the end of the day, you're just kind of waiting for the fights to end. They bring the winners through and you do your post-fight interviews and scrums. But yeah, like the main event wraps up. We had all the post-fight media and I was out of the venue on the you know, Uber back to the hotel before midnight, which is just like such a game changer. Usually sometimes you don't get out of there till two, three, even later at times. And yeah, it just feels so much better, especially, you know, when you wake up the next day and you don't have that like exhaustion hangover, it makes it an unbelievable difference. Even that couple hours, a far cry from us leaving uh, Halifax at like four in the morning after (laughs) Rory McDonald and Tarek Safadine. Yeah, so, such a far cry, and uh, it's, it's really nice. And this weekend will be even better in Philly. I think the main card starts at seven, and that's just beautiful. Um, hopefully, this is the case all through the ESPN deal, and it doesn't eventually, you know, take a change as we get deeper into it. But th- they couldn't be off to a better start, in my opinion. I thought the two big stories coming out of Saturday really centered around the top two fights with uh, Curtis Blades with a dominant performance over Justin Willis. I scored that fight thirty twenty five. I thought the first two rounds were easy 10-8 rounds. Uh, One judge did not see a 10-8 round among those three. I don't know how. And Anthony Pettis, I mean, uh, an an upset to many people, defeating Stephen Thompson in the way in which he did, knocking him out. And I I would imagine you're probably on the same boat as me, that this welterweight division has just so many interesting stories and fighters, and you throw another one into the mix in Anthony Pettis, who seems to be kind of lukewarm on where his next fight is going to take place, but Walter Waite's definitely a, a real, realistic option now. Yeah, for sure. Uh, he couldn't have asked for a better night. I mean, it took, like you kind of said, post-fight, he knew he was going to have to go through the ringer a bit to win that fight, but he stuck true to what he claims was his game plan, and eventually, you know, I don't know if landing that punch, that Superman hook that he landed to end the fight was necessarily in the game plan, because he said after the fact that he never even practiced that leading up to the fight, which just goes to show his creativity when he gets in there, but yeah, a brilliant performance for him, and it very much puts him on the radar in that division. Uh, it's going to get a lot tougher for him because I think everyone above him as he would work his way up is like very difficult stylistic matchups for him. Stephen Thompson is pretty much the best he could have asked for uh, if you're looking at the top of that division but he went in there and he won he made his mark and uh, really interesting sort of career revival here for Anthony Pettis a new weight class which just continues with the trend that we've seen over and over in the past couple years with fighters moving up and finding newfound success. If you were advising Anthony Pettis here, do you do you like welterweight for him? He debuts at a very healthy ranking, uh, depending on the seriousness of which you uh, assign the UFC rankings. He comes in at eighth. He's you know ahead of a lot of big hitters at 170 pounds. But do you feel that he owes it to himself to see what is the ceiling here at welterweight? Even though, yeah, he will be outsized by a number of these guys, but he was against Stephen Thompson too. Yeah, for sure. I think he's got to at least give it a go and. 
might as well, right? Because if he goes back down to lightweight, what's really there for him? I know he mentioned the winner of Gaethje and Barboza fighting this weekend, who he'd like to fight, but we already saw him lose to Barboza. Uh, Gaethje told us yesterday he's not really interested in that fight. If he wins this one, he wants to go upward in the rankings and was asking for you know some of the bigger names in that weight class if he's able to win. So yeah, if you're Anthony Pettis, I think you just stick around and see what they can give you. Uh, it's a little tough for him because you look at the guys above him, Two of them are Ben Askren and Tyron Woodley, who he says he won't fight. He also says he's not interested in fighting Jorge Masvidal, who he shares a manager with. So he's kind of limiting his options here. But we'll see what they give him, see what kind of creativity they can come up in terms of the matchmaking. But I, I agree with you. He definitely owes it to himself to stick around here. And he even said if he was going to go back to lightweight, it's going to take a little bit of lifestyle change. He's going to have to really, really commit to making that weight, getting his weight low and going in there to actually have that energy because that's what he kept saying all week was like he just thought that with the weight cut the training camp does to him when he actually goes in there and in particular when he has to face some wrestlers or even when he had the tony ferguson fight he just said he depleted himself pretty quickly in the actual fight and he thinks a lot of that has to do with the weight cut so yeah just move forward with this thing and see what can happen do you feel that the UFC is married to Usman and Covington as the next title fight? Do you feel any of the performances we've seen over the last couple of weeks have upset that potential matchup? Do you feel like that is still the fight to make? Yeah, it's definitely got to be the fight to make. Uh, there's just so much storyline there, too, especially with what you know, Kamaru Usman kind of came out and was saying about you know he wants to unleash the wrath of every immigrant and what Kobe Covington has fired back. I just think uh, there, there's seems like to be legitimate heat there and uh you know what we saw with the buffet line and the palms them two almost getting in a bit of a brawl there like there is a narrative behind this fight uh, which you know props to colby covington he i know there was a lot of heat and a lot of interest in that tyron woodley fight but it seems like he's basically picking up right where he left off and getting just as much interest in an uzman fight so that's good news for him and according to dana white according to him that title shot is secure so it's basically just a matter of waiting on kamaru uzman to get healthy he got that double hernia surgery he's got uh, some foot issues it seems like so we just don't know when he's going to be back which i think is the only thing that may become a problem if we have to wait a really long time because covington's already approaching a year without a fight and i imagine he doesn't want to wait around too much longer and just sticking with the the welterweight picture uh we we got the report through uh brett okamoto that tyron woodley we had all these questions about how would he come back after this Kamaru Usman fight. I would venture to guess that Robbie Lawler wasn't in too many people's uh, prognostications of what that next fight would be. Uh, do you like this fight for Tyron Woodley? Because I think it's as much as just bouncing back and making that Usman fight a as far away in the rearview mirror as possible. Uh, does Robbie Lawler um, – is there a positive here to Tyron Woodley taking this fight with Robbie Lawler? It's definitely a big risk, big reward for him. Um, of course, he's already beat Lawler. He knocked him out in the first round and won the title from him. So it doesn't really get much better than that if you look at the optics of that. But maybe that's why he took it. He Maybe he just feels so confident in that matchup. He's able to go duplicate what he did in the past, and that puts him right back in there. But if he loses to Lawler, who is just 1-2, since he lost the title and of course you know that lost to Ben Askren and still some controversy surrounding it but that wouldn't necessarily be the greatest look if uh, Woodley lost that fight so definitely taking a risk here but uh, I mean for him he just needs to get there and win fights uh, I don't think you know unfortunately with his relationship with the UFC I don't think this one's going to get him a title shot unless he's the benefactor of some super good timing and some other people being unavailable 
But yeah, he, he just needs to go in there and get a win and doing it against a guy you've already knocked out in the first round. I'm sure he has plenty of confidence and I'm sure that's why he thought this was a good fight for him because I even spoke to him last week in Nashville and of course, you know, at the time he was calling out Conor McGregor, which was, you know, we know what's happened with Conor since then. He's off the board apparently for the time being. So he said, I hope the UFC doesn't come to me with a fight that doesn't make sense because I'm going to turn it down and I hope they have more respect for me to come to me with a fight that doesn't make sense. So uh, they offered him this one. He took it. So he must think it makes sense. Well, that's a natural segue. Uh, uh, being a- around the fighters, management that, that you've probably been around uh, throughout this week, Mike, and going into Philadelphia, how big of a topic of conversation has Conor McGregor been? Has that been the, the dominant theme amongst those you've been speaking with over the last couple of days? Not really, honestly. It's it's kind of interesting. Um, even talking to like some of the fighters, I, I asked Dustin Poirier, and this was you know before the New York Times report came out, so that obviously changed things a little bit. But he thought you know he's coming back, uh, that he's not necessarily going to commit to this retirement. We heard Don Cerrone make similar comments. Um, yeah, but like even Justin Gaethje hasn't really mentioned anything about him. Edson Barboza, none of these lightweight contenders on the card have really been talking too much Connor. So somewhat surprisingly, it hasn't been the dominant narrative. Do you feel that given uh, the scope of the New York Times story and what it could potentially entail for Conor McGregor, which it's worth noting, the guy, the guy has not been charged yet, but there is an investigation ongoing. Do you feel that it is it prohibits the UFC from even moving forward with the idea of booking him in a fight, or is this going to just be it's business as usual. If we can promote a fight with him, we don't feel the public is going to not support this fight. Even if there's a shadow over top of Conor McGregor. It's a really, really tough one there because just imagine a scenario in which they book him. And again, you said he hasn't been charged or anything, but there is an investigation ongoing, but say like they booked him for a fight and say the week of the fight or the two weeks before the fight, anything like that, he did get charged. And imagine what kind of chaos that would ensue. I, I really don't know how you could book into a fight with this thing kind of out there. It would be, you know, I think, just a bad look in general, but then the potential risk of something happening all, along the way that could even worsen it, that would be really, really bad. And um, it also, you have to imagine that you know the value of a Conor McGregor fight is to get the promotion to a, an, an enormous peak. And I don't know how Conor McGregor necessarily can go out and promote a fight without expecting those kinds of questions unless he secludes himself from from the media. And I don't know if that's what ESPN Plus wants for such a, a big first-time Conor McGregor fight on their platform um, that they are going to probably want a lot of media obligations for Conor. So it's a, it's a very tricky dance to go about and... I think the fact that you and I are just talking about the inevitability of when Conor McGregor fights kind of leads credence to how much stock to put in his tweet from earlier this week. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, I don't think anyone is necessarily fully believing that, especially what happened you know, three years ago when he basically put out something very similar with the, you know, thanks for the cheese, I'm retiring young type of tweet. And then he ultimately ended up fighting just a few months later against Nate Diaz. So, yeah, I don't know how you can put really any stock into a Conor McGregor retirement tweet at this point or any mma retirement we know what happens in the sport over and over again you could go on with endless examples of people who have walked away and come back and when you're like when you're in conor mcgregor's position you have so much money on the table and so much opportunity it's just hard to envision that he would never fight again it's also you know you just look at just the changing dynamics of the ufc and their pay-per-view business now that they know that no matter what 
kind of year we have on pay-per-view with ESPN Plus, we are guaranteed a certain amount that we are getting from them that the pressure to necessarily make sure that Conor McGregor fights because that could be the difference between a good year and a bad year for us. I think that there's a lot more leverage now on the UFC side if they want to play chicken with Conor McGregor. I don't think the UFC is necessarily in a place where they have to worry about having to blink in in this kind of a situation. I think that this is very much they have cushioned themselves from this kind of power play from a Conor McGregor that certainly ESPN plus wants Conor McGregor fighting on their platform. But if you're the UFC, I mean, it's, it's, it's great if you can get him to fight, but it's also not completely crippling to your business if he doesn't this year. Yep. A hundred percent. You said it perfectly there. They have in a world, you know, it wasn't that long ago and Conor McGregor had all the leverage in that sense. And now it's back on their side. And, um, it's very interesting to see how that complicates things. Uh, it was interesting. The I'm sure you saw the statement his rep put out after the New York Times report came out. And, of course, all of it was kind of saying, you know, this rumor isn't in connection to the, um, the report that's come out. The timing is not, you know, he didn't retire because we thought this was coming, anything like that. But it was like, if he does fight again, the, the last graph of that, which yeah. was the most compelling was if he does fight again, it needs to be in an environment where the athletes are respected and, uh, you know, treated right, et cetera, et cetera. And that kind of was a little bit of a message that says something right there. So, uh, Dana White can say what he's want, what he wants. He's come out this week in some interviews and said, uh, you know, me and Connor have never really had a bad conversation since he's been in the UFC, which is a little hard to believe. Um, but yeah, like he seems to almost be supporting this. So, uh, I don't know. It's, it's really interesting times on that front, but yeah, it almost seems like they are playing a little game of chicken, but you know, from what Dana claims, they, they are not, that's not the case. You know, Connor made this choice and they're moving forward. So it's very interesting. Obviously there's more going on than what there appears to be on the surface. And I'm sure more information will come out in time. If you are if you are looking into your your deep Mike Bond uh, crystal ball is is Conor McGregor fighting before November? For November, hmm. I'd like to say yes, just because I like to be an optimistic person. But again, I just think so much of it hangs on this whole ordeal that's going on in Ireland. If he ends up being charged, I can't imagine a scenario, obviously, in which he fights anytime soon. If this thing ends up getting dispelled completely, then it opens the door back up. But yeah, clearly there's something he wants right now that he's not getting from the UFC. And until that changes, I can't imagine the, a scenario because as you said, you know, with this ESPN plus thing, the UFC may have leverage, but Conor McGregor also doesn't need to fight. I mean, he claims uh, that he has you know more money than he needs that he's set for life and all, all this stuff. But I know he burns through money pretty quick too. So I'm not really sure how much merit there is to that or what it means or when he'll eventually have to look to come back but as of right now i don't think he he needs to do anything and neither does the ufc so that's what makes it so interesting so uh some fights that we do know are happening they have announced for well it's been reported by espn two title fights for ufc 239 international fight week on july the 6th john jones defending his light heavyweight title against tiago santos which would be his third fight in eight months and that would be coupled with uh amanda nunez defending the bantamweight championship against holly holm um this to me is, you know, their first uh, real test on ESPN Plus with a John Jones fight to see what kind of new subscribers we can attract to the service. And uh, very interesting as well, the financials of such a deal, Mike, where John Jones is someone that 
when you have that level of points in a pay-per-view and you're doing the business that you are, what what are the financial realities of fighting on ESPN Plus versus the entire pay-per-view universe? I think that's very curious. But on its surface, uh, these two fights, do you feel that they are uh, international fight week uh, worthy? And do you feel that, that John Jones is going to be that kind of a difference maker that will – uh, speed up the process of fight fans signing up for ESPN Plus, which the goal of this deal is to accomplish. Yeah, I think so. Um, it's a, it's a good card so far from what we've seen on it. Um, I think John Jones, the buy rate that we saw against Anthony Smith, which I believe is what in the five hundred thousand range or something like that. Obviously, that was a really deep card with another title fight on as well. But I think that goes to show that John Jones, on his own, even with an opponent like Anthony Smith, who's obviously not the most well known, and that'll kind of be the same thing with Tiago Marata Santos, uh, that he can still draw numbers basically on his own. So curious to see how that does. Obviously, Holly Holm versus Amanda Nunes is an excellent fight as well, and I'm sure they're going to load the card under that with a bunch of other great stuff. So yeah. I'm really interested to hear the first John Jones interview because I'm sure he's going to be asked about this pretty shortly here and how this impacts him. And, you know, he's basically said that, you know, the pay-per-views and stuff are important to him. Obviously that's where he makes his money. Uh, we even saw that at the press conference when he was trying to get Pedro Munoz and Cody Garbrandt that's to talk right. some trash to each other. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how this all shakes out. Um, when I was a- at ATT, I asked Dustin Poirier, uh, obviously he's the main event for the first pay-per-view in this new era, how this kind of impacts him. And he said, you know, he does have some concerns like, He's like, my family back home in Louisiana, they don't own smart TVs. They're not downloading the apps. I know Dana said that thing, like, if you have Netflix, it's as easy as that. But some people don't have Netflix. So um, it's definitely going to be a challenge for some areas. But Dustin seemed very confident that, obviously, this is in the UFC's best interest, the ESPN Plus's best interest to make this work. So, like, whatever kinks we see early on will probably get ironed out in time. But, yeah, it makes it very interesting because we haven't really heard any of the existing champions talk about how this impacts their potential contracts, their pay-per-view buys, all those different things. So it's really kind of early to make predictions on how that all works. Yeah, I think it's a I think it's someone that if if you are already predisposed to streaming services and it's just a way of life for you, you can sometimes forget that there there are parts of the country that are either not uh, technologically equipped or people that just don't have the confidence in streaming that they do in traditional pay-per-view that are set in their ways and you know i i've experienced this through wwe subscribers that there is still you know a notable amount of people that will still buy wwe events that are still out and available on regular pay-per-view that for whatever reason if they don't have a high-speed connection or they just don't have the confidence in streaming like there are still people that buy traditional wwe pay-per-views even though you can spend ten dollars to get them through their streaming service. There's there's a, a pocket of your audience that still relies on old technology, and I'm certain that's the case for UFC audiences too. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's almost even the same with me. I know we obviously aren't under this uh, ESPN Plus guideline for our pay-per-views in Canada uh, at this point, but like even then, you can still order the pay-per-views through Fight Pass and all these different things in Canada, but I, I haven't cut the cord completely just because basically like I have that same concern. I order the pay-per-views through television just because those are the biggest fights, and obviously this is my job and stuff too, but and like I don't even want to risk the potential of a pay-per-view level main event or something and my internet going out or all these different things. I have like the best internet you can get uh, available for my service 
service up there in Canada and it's very strong and often very reliable, but even just that potential risk like is in the back of my head that I don't want to roll the dice on that. So I can't imagine if you're in a situation where your internet connection is poor or anything like that, or like the service isn't great, um, how that would impact you. It's definitely a hurdle that they're going to have to overcome. And I think I agree with what Dana said in some sense that like as time goes on and this becomes more prevalent and I'm sure, you know, as we get you know, go over the years, internet is going to become more accessible and stronger in these places where it's not currently the case. But uh, yeah, I imagine like there's no way that's not an issue that's going to plague them at some point or to kick off here. It's, it's definitely makes it very interesting how that's all going to shake out. I will say I can vouch for Mike. He didn't take any risks. When I came over to watch the Golden Boy <laughs> MMA card, we made sure that pay-per-view was not going to present any hiccups. Uh, well, how could we miss that one? That's, uh, you know, couldn't take any, any chances with that one. Uh, uh, we'll finish up here looking ahead at uh, Saturday's card. It's headlined by, uh, what could easily be, uh, the fight of the year as Edson Barbosa takes on Justin Gaethje. I can only imagine what the expectations are like among those you have spoken to this week, uh, in terms of this fight. But I go back to a graphic they put up on the fight night card this past weekend. And this was staggering. They put up the strikes landed per minute for Justin Gaethje in a fight. 8.53. That's what he lands per minute. Then that is offset by strikes absorbed per minute. 10.54, dude. A minute. 10.54. I cannot fathom this. Uh, Compared to Edson Barbosa, who uh, lands 3.99 and absorbs 4.14. We are just talking completely different universes of strikes landed and absorbed uh, in a fight. Uh, This has all the makings of... uh, of just a wild fight, Mike. Uh, have you spoken to both men already this week? Yeah, a, a few times. We got them at open workouts. Well, I actually first got Edson Barboza at ATT when I was there on Monday, and he was still in the gym, you know, going through some techniques and everything. Obviously, uh, you know, not training insanely hard, not putting himself in any scenarios that could lead to an injury. But then uh, we spoke to them again, both at the open workouts on Wednesday and then on media day on Thursday. And, yeah, they're both ready to go. I mean, Justin Gaethje, we know his mentality going into every single fight. He is, He says wants to steal your soul, and he's looking for the knockout. And, yeah, I mean, we, we can say it straight up. Justin Gaethje has been has won my fight of the year award the past two years. Michael Johnson and then Dustin Poirier, and this this could very well be three straight for him with this fight. You know, in did you get a sense from from Edson Barbosa? I mean, he had two really tough losses to Habib Nurmagomedov and Kevin Lee that would have broken many fighters. And coming back, I have a feeling like that Dan Hooker win. I think was so important uh for him and i imagine that had to have been an enormous burden off his shoulders to be able to get that victory and hopefully 2019 kind of correcting his course at lightweight yeah definitely and we've asked him straight up and he seems like a very mentally strong guy like how did those losses affect you but he's lost some bad ones even before that and he's always consistently managed to come back like even that tony ferguson fight that he had a couple years ago which was you know another fight of the year candidate in there right that was an absolutely bloody brutal fight that went back and forth he was hurt he was you know choked and everything and he still managed to come back and get some big wins so yeah edson barboza 
give him his credit. He's incredibly resilient when he goes in there and loses a fight. He's able to rebound. It seems like he's in a really good place going into this one. He knows what he might have to go through there, and he seems very prepared for what a Justin Gaethje fight might have to offer. Um, but like from the positive and the negative, he knows the potential pitfalls. He knows where he needs to stay strong. But he even said today, like it's been a whole thing through my camp. My corner says like you need to listen to us. Well, uh, you know the game plan is no game plan according to him, but. Like he knows he needs to listen to his corner advice, but he's like, at some point, it might get to the point where I just have to say screw it and get into a dog fight with this guy and turn into his exact quote was turn into a crazy dog, and that's I think you know what he knows he has to do, and that's the case with any potential Justin Gaethje fight. Uh, also, uh, I, I'm curious, um, being there on the ground, the level of coverage you've seen, because in you know, from my vantage point, it really feels like ESPN is pushing uh, Michelle Watterson and Karolina Kovalkiewicz as much as the main event. I've seen so much on Michelle Watterson that you I don't think if you knew any better, you would assume she is headlining this card. Yeah, and it's weird because they were originally the co-main event, and then they changed the bout order up, and now they're just kind of like mid-main card, and we have David Branch and Jack Hermanson as the co-main event now. But yeah, like... There's a reason they were at the open workouts yesterday and not Branch and Hermanson. Um, it's an interesting fight, obviously. Uh, you know, it, an easy matchup for the UFC to promote given their fighting styles, their looks, all that kind of stuff. And yeah, they've been pushing her hard. And, you know, it's obviously important to note that Michelle Watterson is a WME client. So she's definitely getting that push on their end. So um, yeah, like the, she's clearly one of their people that they really want to push out there. And, you know, she, she's equipped to handle it. She's doing good things right now. It's not like she's on a losing streak. This is the best run she's had in the UFC, the best she's looked. And from her perspective, if she wins this one a title shot could be on the horizon so um i guess it's understandable she's trending in an upward direction so i see why they would get behind her but yeah she's getting as much promotion as anyone you almost wonder if it's an interesting play on on espn's part that you know the fact that this is not on a pay-per-view this is free television that you put your second biggest fight midway through the card in the hopes that instead of a, a fan that is tuning in for your final two fights that they tune in midway through the show with the hopes that you hook them for two more fights before you get to the main event. If that's just something that you, you space out the, the two biggest fights on the card rather than air them back to back and train people to just tune in for that final hour. Definitely. And I'm not sure. I haven't looked at the and March Madness NCAA schedule for this weekend, but it could potentially have to do with some of the start times then. Like maybe, you know, it's just before a big game starts, like the ideal time slot for that to start or when one ends or something. I'm not sure if that factors into it at all, but it's possible. But I think your theory is pretty on point as well. Um, you're giving people a reason to tune in earlier. And that, that's a good move, in my opinion. Mike, we won't keep you any longer. Thank you so much for uh, for taking time out of your always a busy schedule. We'll be following all of your coverage this weekend. And uh, if people want to check out your your 25-plus interviews at minimum, uh, where is the best place to follow all of your fine work? Yeah, just go to MMAJunkie.com, of course. And then, uh, you know, if you want a more direct path to the interviews, obviously you can go to the YouTube page. Uh, not all of them are there yet. There's a handful there, but we're going to be rolling them out you know, slowly, probably over the next few days, especially with next week being the first non-event week in a very long time for the UFC and Bellator. So uh, those will probably start going up more consistently in the next few days. And you can check them out on the MMA reporters this week, getting getting the, the kind invite. You, you're all over the place, Mike, but you always make time for us. 
Of, of course, uh, Ariel Hawani, John Pollock, these are my fellow Canadians. So anything for you guys. Us Canadians, we all we all got to stick together. Uh, follow the man at Mike Bond MMA. Uh, thanks for the time, as always, Mike. No problem. See you back in Toronto.